2: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open, midday and close every weekday. Markets, money and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
3: My mission is simple: to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market summer. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. You, so call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today, Wall Street decided that it's better to be sorry than safe with investors going all in on the kind of stocks they'll be very sorry about if the good news from the past 24 hours fails to pay off. And that's how the Dow surged 912 points. The S&P rocketed up 3.15 percent. And then Nasdaq pole vaulted 2.44 percent of too many of the uh, uh, so-called pro-COVID stocks in there. You know what I mean? First, when you look at the pictures of lines to get into bars in Ohio or Wisconsin this weekend, I'm sure you saw them. How about those packed beaches? I mean, do you have to, like, rent a cabana there? There's none left in Jersey, even in Florida. Well, it's clear America's reopening for business. There are plenty of new rules and regulations to keep people safe. Masks, social distancing, hand washing. But all across the country, people are just ignoring them, right? I mean, it's almost business as usual. Crowded tables. Talk about better to be sorry than safe. Living in New York, I know this virus is incredibly contagious, and I really hope the rest of the country doesn't have to find out the hard way. But even though this behavior seems reckless, I have to tell you that seeing all those lines kind of did make me more confident about the economy. Did. Seemed somehow good, even though I know it could be dangerous. Second, we got to look at a totally reassuring, almost avuncular Fed chief when Jay Powell sat down with Scott Pelley in 60 Minutes. Good interview. Powell quietly let it be known that there's no limit to what can be done to fix the economy. He understands that it's impossible the Fed to run out of ammunition. Boy, does Powell ever have our back? It was powerful stuff. It was kind of reminding me of when Ben Bernanke did that in 2009 in March, said, listen, no more banks are going to fail. And that was the beginning of the next layer of the bull market. The next leg started on 60 Minutes. Hmm. No, that would be history repeating. That could be. Pal's positive commentary boosted markets overseas. And more importantly, it sent the price of oil surging. Bye bye bye! Over thirty again at these levels, most of our producers are solvent. Thanks to all these signposts of strength, we knew we were going to have a real good day. I mean, the Dow was looking like it was going to open up 350 points not long before the bell. I heard Joe talking with Becky and Andrew. It's going to be a good day. And then, boom! The news hits Moderna. Moderna, the biotech company that uses artificial intelligence to find new gene therapies and vaccines, announced some promising news from the phase one trials. I know that's early. Bear with me for the COVID vaccine. Tiny study, 45 people, very preliminary. But we did get a positive read through. Normally in phase one, we only care about safety. You're just making sure the vaccine doesn't hurt anyone. This time, though, we learned that eight people who got a higher dose of the vaccine were able to produce antibodies that hopefully can stop the virus over a longer period of time or even at all. Now, nobody wants to be too optimistic. The media handled this, pre- this thing. It, the media did a good job. They, they, were, they were responsible. All the reports were muted, safe, promising, encouraging, might prove fruitful. This data doesn't prove anything. It just shows that Moderna might be on the right track. That was the verbiage. Yet the market reacted with reckless abandon, like those people who hit the bars and the beaches this weekend. We know that the fastest vaccine in the market from start to finish was the Mums vaccine. It took four years. Uh, how about How's the uh, HIV vo- uh, vo- vaccine? How long did that take? Uh-uh. We've never been able to make one. But Moderna's got something that sets it apart from its predecessors. See, they use artificial intelligence, powered by Amazon Web Services like everything else in the world, to calculate trillions of permutations and find the right formula. If you can to eliminate tons of dead ends and blind alleys in a blink of an eye, well, that really does speed up the discovery process. If anybody can develop a vaccine in record time, it is indeed Moderna. And that's potentially huge. So far, the only drug we have is gilead's remdesivir, an antiviral that gets patients with severe COVID out of the hospital faster. Even Gilead doesn't claim that it saves lives. Thin gruel. But a vaccine? Oh, man, that is a game changer. And everyone, all the smart people told me, forget this, Jim. You're just getting too excited. Don't believe the hype. It can't happen. And then this happens this morning. It was pretty eye opening. This could be one of the shortest recessions in history even as it will also be maybe the sharpest. When you look at the stocks that sort today, they're the ones in the COVID blast radius. Travel, oil, autos, homes, the banks. Today was the first day where I felt like maybe the banks aren't going to go under. I thought they were looking like going down the drain with Trino. Which I used last week it actually works. Oh, no, it was Liquid Plumber. They all they both work. Without Powell's bullish statement and this news from Moderna, the only real news we would have had was from the financials, and it was the dispiriting fact that Warren Buffett dumped the bulk of his shares of Goldman Sachs. Instead, Goldman stock rallied four percent. Reasonable response, you know, Goldman stock fell four percent. You figure it would go back up five percent. Uh, you figure it would something. Goldman stocks hot again. How about that? Now, look, I was shocked by some of these moves. United Airlines up 21 percent. Norwegian Cruise Line's up 18 percent. Marriott and Royal Caribbean up 17 percent. If you didn't know any better, you think the vaccine is in the bag. I mean, all just, you know, we have within a few months to start booking things. It's not that silly, though. You know, I looked at prices for a Norwegian Cruise this morning. I found a cruise going to Alaska next year. Uh, it, you could take it about a year from now. And it was one third of what you would have of what it would have gone before for the pandemic. And not only that, if you think the vaccine will be readily available next year, get this. Why not book now and cancel later? There's no charge. I think this is like a great idea. If Moderna doesn't come through, well, there are so many companies working on this, you have to believe that maybe there'll be another. Uh, Regeneron, J&J, Pfizer, Inovia, Novavax, which, be careful, filed a big offering tonight. Yet the optimism is that palpable. Now, a lot of people on Wall Street expected that all the money that's gone into the COVID-19 winners would simply migrate back the losers and get closer to normal. But that's not what happened today. There's Too much momentum in the winners. I think the drug stocks, The cloud stocks, have been the biggest winners. And the retailers that are big enough to thrive in this environment, they're all going to report this week. The people who own these names weren't willing to sell, except for, in a handful of cases, like a Zoom or a Peloton. Do you really want to dump NVIDIA right before its quarter? you want to bet against Facebook, brand-new smart uh, uh, small business strategy? you want to abandon Google when it looks like it might come up with something uh, out of this recession sooner than expected? I don't know. Of course not. So you had a weird session where the COVID winners rallied a bit and the cyclical COVID losers exploded so high that it almost felt like a gigantic bear short squeeze. If the vaccine's really come in faster than we thought, it makes sense for Nucor, a steelmaker, to run up 7%, or for the homebuilders to be at double digits. Uh, their valuations were so cheap that, that they deserved to move up. But in the end, though, today proved why you need what I call a barbell strategy, like the one I laid out for my travel trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionWordsPlus.com club. You need a barbell with the COVID-19 winners on one end, The stay at home stocks, the economic recovery winners on the other. Okay, here's the bottom line. The barbell uh, portfolio was the best strategy for today. The ones that if the vaccine fails and for the what if the vaccine makes it. All right. That's what you want. But you know what? Uh, I know we got good news from Moderna, but let's hope this safety last attitude goes away, because if there is another big outbreak and we have to go back into lockdown, many of today's winners will come right back down. Okay, let's go to Elaine in California. Elaine. Yes, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Elaine. My husband and I are longtime listeners and first-time callers. Oh, great. Great to have you on board. What's going on? Well, the first stock my husband ever bought was Clorox. Yes. That was in 1975, and he had just graduated from college. Oh, wow. He bought less than 100 shares because that was all he could afford. But in the 45 years since, he's reinvested every dividend. Obviously, the coronavirus has had a huge impact on Clorox earnings, and we know the company is working 24-7 to try and meet the demand for its wipes. Our question is whether now is the time to take the money and run, even though we don't really need it, or should we
4: write it out of? bit? No,
3: no, no. I, look, I mean, this is one of those stocks that if the Moderna vaccine works, then things can get better in the country. But in the interim, do you think we're ever really going to go back to the way we were? I mean, maybe. But I think you've got a long time where Clorox is going to do very, very well, and particularly overseas, where things are really not so strong. I want you to hold on to it. It could be rocky for a little bit, but I want you to own on it.
5: Matt in Florida. Matt. Hey, booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Booyah. listener, first-time caller. Fantastic. And second longer. first-time caller. All right. Uh, my question is on Sorrento Therapeutics. S-R-N-E is their uh, stock Yes, name. I know. They've had— Tons of recent game. They're up from $2 a share to $7 a share, peaking at like $9.80 today, up 138% since Friday. My question is, is this a stock that's actually viable, or is this short-term excitement over their COVID uh, antibodies? I think it's short-term excitement. Look, if, if,
3: if companies play with a total open hand and show us everything and the stock goes up that much like Moderna did, I'm totally fine with it. Without a total open hand, then I'm going to say I want to be careful. Now, I know everyone who owns Sorrento and bought it since Friday who hears that I want to be careful is going to look at Twitter and say, you know what, he's the worst guy ever. And all I can tell you is I'm Jimmy Chill, and I love you anyway. Wall Street today thought it was better to be sorry than safe. Yeah, safety took a vacation on Wall Street. The barbell strategy is what I want you to do, okay? Half the ones that do well and half the ones that do not so well. On both. You would have done great today. Made Money Tonight. As many states begin to reopen, how is a company like Danny's Grand Slam positioning itself? I'm talking the future of the restaurant industry with the CEO. Then with the market headed higher today, is the narrative changing? I'm giving my take. And the COVID-19 pandemic has driven home the importance of communication and collaboration technology. I'm talking the CEO of a smaller cap company that is uniquely positioned to take advantage of the space.
4: So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
3: get a vaccine by late this year or early next year, and the data we just got from Moderna suggests that is a real possibility, then that means we can go back to normal. Uh, not the new normal where you have to maintain physical distancing, but the old normal where restaurants and retailers can operate at maximum occupancy again. So does that mean it's time to start speculating on the restaurant stocks? Take Denny's, the full-service uh, diner chain you know that I love, which is nearly 1,700 locations worldwide. It's mostly a franchise locations in the U.S. When the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown, Denny's saw its stock plummet from 22 bucks down to 450, where we first started liking it, if you remember, at the March lows, uh, because as a sit-down restaurant. Well, it was a sell-first, ask-questions-later situation, right? But since then, the stock's been about to rebound. It's been rebounding pretty aggressively, more than doubling since the bottom, including a fabulous 10% run today off this Moderna vaccine news. Plus, just last Thursday, Denny's reported better than a fewer quarter. Imagine management told a story of gradual improvement now that the second quarter's underway. Don't get me wrong, this is a very tough business to be in right now. But if we can fully reopen this economy sooner than expected, Denny's can make a comeback sooner than expected. So let's check in with John Miller. He's the CEO of Denny's. He had a better sense of how he's navigating this difficult period, business Mr. Miller, welcome back to May Money.
6: Thank you. Appreciate you having me today.
3: All right. So, John, are you uh, how closely do you follow the whole vaccine thing?
6: Well, I think there's good news today. Uh, Obviously, prevention and cure would give everybody a lot of relief and confidence to go out and shop and return to a normal, whatever new normal may look like post pandemic. Well, do people when they uh, how many of your restaurants right now are,
3: are serving people in the store?
6: 521 of 1,600 domestic locations have some inside dining service at the moment. Do uh,
3: What happens if a group of eight people come in like I used to after having a couple, and we just love Denny's, want to get a little sop up? Would you make, break us up or turn us away?
6: Yeah, so we're trying to keep it at parties of six inside same family. Social distancing is an absolute must. Uh, we're doing temperature checks for all of our employees before they come back to work. Uh, we've gone to uh, what I'd call uh, best practice measures for health and sanitation. But yes, by all means, customers would be welcome. They would come in for the states where it's 25 percent that have a little more distance between them. States that are 50 percent or municipalities that are 50 percent a little closer together as close as six or eight feet. Uh, we have tables marked that are not open um, so that uh, guests can feel safe. And, and yeah, you'd be welcome and have a normal dining experience overall.
3: Okay, so how about the eighty-two uh, percent of domestic franchise restaurants? How is that, that Paycheck Protection Program working for them?
6: Yeah, so PPP, of course, you know, all of our uh, franchisees are small business owners. In fact, seventy percent own five stores or less, and so when the register's not ringing and you're closed, uh, it's pretty difficult to make it uh, for very long. So the uh, our our franchise community did apply for the loan. We assisted them where we could with a national broker. Uh, Assist with franchisees that may not have had the best relationships with an SBC lender or a bank that was good at the PPP lending right out of the bat. Uh, our larger franchisees figured it out, and many of our smaller did without our assistance. But I think you know we were right there side by side working to help them secure as much liquidity as possible. Uh, 82% of our, uh, or let's call it, uh, yeah, right at 82% of our restaurants have received a loan. Another 7% have been approved and are waiting for funding. And then those that haven't, we're still assisting to figure out if, uh, if they need it or not. Uh, some are part of larger systems with other uh, franchise mm-hmm. businesses that are not as affected as much as full service is and may not have needed it. Quite as badly.
3: All right now, you've done remarkable things with your balance sheet over the years and your buyback over the years. But then, there's, something like this comes along. Completely, this is just a business interruption from hell, frankly. Uh, what, what What have you done to shore up your balance sheet?
6: Well, of course, you know right away. We focused on liquidity um, and focused on our franchisees' liquidity primarily uh, because we are a ninety-six percent franchise business. So, as our franchise system goes, so goes the brand. Uh, On the corporate balance sheet, we did uh, draw down on our balance sheet roughly $40 million. Uh, We took an additional $20 million draw, and then we've secured a new credit agreement. We feel like we've done everything we can in our power to make sure that we go uninterrupted for as long as possible, and we have all the confidence that uh, we will not have a liquidity challenge at Denny's as a result.
3: Well, that's what matters. Now, you guys have been a pioneer of digital ordering delivery uh, infrastructure. How's that working? And are some of these delivery companies taking advantage of the situation and charging too much?
6: Well, I, I think, you know, every business model has its own business model, right? So the, the third party delivery companies are doing a great job with technology and uh, creating, eliminating pain points for consumers. We've adopted third party delivery options in most of our markets, in multiple ones. Um, and where they each have their own business clientele and some that overlap, some that does not. So we try to have as many of those as possible. Uh, I I would say that they're doing their best to make their model work and we're doing our best to negotiate for our model to work. Uh, Cost, packaging, uh, lower beverage sales, all those things create a different business model and different economics for to-go sales. But clearly it's in demand for the consumers and our Denny's on-demand program uh, it's more than doubled. It's up about 110 percent versus last year since the pandemic started. But at My the same time, the, the same store
3: sales have been very tough, yeah. right?
6: Yeah, as, as bad as 80 percent down. And then, then the <laughs> stores that are open, we're in that 50 percent range. Oh, 80 percent
3: down. 80% right down. How, do, how, do you, how do you come back from that? How do you come back from well, that, John? I mean, because that's cons- a tough pantry, you know, pantry kids. I mean, what are we doing here?
6: Right. So as uh, obviously we have all the confidence we'll rebuild momentum in our brand. We have great franchisees that were smart and wise with managing cash. Uh, It has been challenging, no doubt about it. Uh, But we're on twice weekly calls with our steering committee body. We have great franchisees that have been in the system a long time. They get a lot of support from us. Uh, They support us in return with great initiatives and and they move quickly to adjust to the real-time issues. I've been very impressed with the uh, the number of dine-through, curbside, drive-through, exterior, hostess stands, uh, touchless uh, credit card systems, all the things we've done very quickly in real time to adjust to consumer needs. We've tried uh, delivering some groceries or providing groceries through drive-through service, uh, not because we think it's a permanent important part of our business model, but just to provide services for our guests to give them a little convenience for when they are getting out. And as confidence returns, as normal returns, whatever that might be defined as, we do believe people will want to dine in. Uh, We will have pressure on the weekends when we're full capacity. But right now we are open uh, and more opening all the time Uh, between now and the 22nd of May. Another 85 stores could open uh, as this lifts across other states in the country. And we're looking forward to having 100 percent of the markets reopen in the dining room. We are ready. We are ready and clean and and able to take care of our guests.
3: Well, you know, we've been backing you all the way. We just got to hope you come back. We want to double. Thank you so much, John Miller, CEO of Denny's. Good to see you. May have money back after the break.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
3: I've always hated that stupid little ditty. And today's incredible action shows you just how wrong headed it is. May is turning out to be a pivotal month for the U.S. economy, and not in a bad way. But it's not just sell in May and go away. It's this whole genre of prediction. Every year, people make forecasts about what might happen based on historical patterns. And every year I push back because you just can't extrapolate that. You can't. It doesn't work. 2020 is nothing like 2019 or 2018 or 2017 or 2016, no matter what month it is. This time, it's even more important because tons of companies that, rep- that reported last month, well, they were incredibly downbeat. Now, you can't blame them. They made their predictions at a time when most countries still hadn't bent the curve, and we had no idea whether we'd be able to contain the coronavirus. Things looked very bleak when they made those forecasts. So when you listen to their cops calls, almost no companies raised estimates. Instead, you had a huge number of businesses that just plan- abandoned their forecasts and a ton of others that eliminated their dividends outright. In retrospect, though, the last week of March and the first weeks of April, when most of these big companies reported, seemed like they were the worst period of all for the economy. Businesses already started coming back as states gradually lift their lockdown orders. Unlike the financial crisis, when everyone in Washington was in total denial about how bad things had gotten, this time the Federal Reserve swiftly attacked the problem with every tool at its disposal. Fed Chief Jay Powell effectively backstopped a trillion dollars of bond issuance. That's the equivalent of all the bonds that were issued last year already by now. He acted immediately during the financial crisis took over a year before the Fed started doing anything really decisive. 2007 and 2008, many different markets froze up, commercial paper, price of mutual fund redemption, mortgages, so many others. This April, every time one of those financial horrors sprung up, J-PAL pulled out the bazooka. He didn't try to play whack-a-mole. He just told people to stop worrying because he'd spend trillions popping up these markets if he had to. So if you were betting that we'd see a replay of the financial crisis here, which many of the hedge funds were, PAL crushed you. 2020 is not like 2008. The most amazing thing, the Fed didn't even have to spend much money to make it happen. Powell saved the system merely by telling people he'd do whatever it takes. When you do that and Wall Street believes you, the problem takes care of itself, as we saw again yesterday when he spoke on 60 Minutes. And look at today's action. At the same time, the Treasury Department and Congress told out trillions in subsidies to individuals and small businesses. 2008 Congress didn't act until after Lehman Brothers went under and nearly took down the whole financial system. This time they acted fast, and the stimulus hit in the second half of April. Too late for these companies to include in their forecast. That really matters. Despite everything the government did, tons, tons of money managers were convinced that it simply didn't matter. Hence the sell in May and go away dictum that seemed to have more gravitas this year than ever. That was a mistake. I like to hark back to the days when legendary Peter Lynch ruled the money management business from his perch at Fidelity's Magellan Fund. Lynch had a great rule. Quote, far more money has been lost by investors preparing for corrections or trying to anticipate corrections than has been lost in corrections themselves, end quote. In other words, rather than trying to, to get out ahead of a potential decline, sometimes you just need to stay the course because that way you don't miss out on incredible rallies that come out of nowhere like we had today. Now, many of these companies that were extremely negative in April have since had much more compelling things to say or are going to tell you many more compelling things. The despair of the color the beginning of earnings season has been busted. I think we'll see when Walmart, Home Depot, Target report this week, the narrative... Has changed and changed for the better. Unfortunately, if you sold the man, you went away. I think it's too late, too late to get back in. Dave in Illinois, Dave, Doctor Kramer, Dave.
5: So, Jim, I'm curious about your vegetable garden: full plant, partial plant, or no plant?
3: 100% full plant. Except for one little area where I just got some special artisanal seeds that Dave is going to crush them when I go plant when I go uh, making my cans later this year. If you're nice, I'm going to send you one.
5: Can't wait to see it on Twitter.
3: It'll yeah, be there. Last, Getting trash a little today. What's up?
5: Yeah, last month, Chipotle reported a strong quarter, beating on top and bottom lines. You have recently favored the likes of Wendy's and Starbucks. Gradually reopening stores in China. As such, Restaurant Brands International is meeting challenges in supply chain disruptions, upgrading their technology, and expanding Tim Hortons and Popeye's Louisiana kitchens into recently reopening markets in China. So, Jim, I see opportunities ahead. No, you're right. That. And the guy was
3: on. He made it, He quit himself well, Dave. But I've got to tell you that Chipotle, I said when I was at, uh, I don't know, what, 300, that it would go to a G, uh, that it would go through a 1,000. Uh, and it went through it today. And all I'm going to do is say it's going higher. That's the one to be in. Greg in Georgia. Greg. Booyah,
5: Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Booyah. Harley-Davidson's new CEO announced a transformational plan called The Rewire, returning focus to core markets which drive positive cash flow while also recognizing the need to excite a younger consumer. Their CFO knows that they have ample liquidity to ride out the remainder of 2020. With today's lack of entertainment options and plenty of open roads, should we hop on even
3: after today's big move? You know, uh, that's a big move today. I think it's got... I think it could have another good day, but I'm, I'm not a big fan because of the demographic of who rides it. It's just too old. And I know that that's, uh, hey, listen, it's okay. I can say it, right? I have the, I have the ability to say it because I went to one and everyone looked like me. All right. One of the dealers. Good dealer. Sell in May and go away? Not! Today's action how wrong? how wrong. Just, just, just how wrong that statement is. And I hate it. Now, I do think, though, after today's rally, it may be too late to get back in if you sold in May. Anyway, much more mad money at, including my exclusive with the company up nearly 60% over the past month. Do not miss my sit down with Avaya. Then I'm looking ahead to the future beyond COVID-19 with the man at the center of it all. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
4: tomorrow kick off the trading day with squawk on the street live from post nine at the nyse
3: david uh i'm never going to mention again that you said that you didn't have any friends and didn't like friends that's done okay that's First done all, that is not the finished. That's finished
6: finished <laughs> all right i'll see you i'll see you on the like amalfi a- coast
4: it all starts at 9 a.m eastern
3: ago, we got an incredible quarter from a company that many people feared was caught in the COVID blast radius, Avaya. This is a major business communications play. They're the world's largest pure play on unified communications and contact center solutions where they're very big. There's a good chance your employer uses Avaya for their phone system. When the market was rolling over in March, this stock got crushed. Who needs phones when everyone's working from home? But last week, Avaya put those concerns to rest when it reported some phenomenal results, a big revenue beat coupled with a solid earnings beat and some very good guidance for its net next uh, quarter. In response, the stock soared 22% in a single session. Hey, it just keeps running. It's up to another 5% today. Why? Because the new Avaya is about a whole lot more than phones. They help enable remote working and business collaboration. They've got a partnership with RingCentral, the cloud-based communication software play. We know that's been great for RingCentral, but it looks like it's also been good for Avaya. So can the stock keep running now that it's less than a buck away from its February highs? Let's take a look with Jim Charico. He's the president CEO of Avaya to learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Charico, welcome to Man Money.
5: Jim, great. Thanks for having me on.
3: All right, sir. Uh, we've had Ring Central on a number of times. I want to know from your side what it has meant to team up with Vlad because it seems like it sure is great on his side.
5: Yeah, you know, Jim, uh, partnering with an industry leader, especially in the UK space like Ring Central, is really truly industry-defining. I mean, who would have ever thought we would partner with a competitor? But when you take a look at it through the lens of our customers, it really makes a lot of sense for the company. We have more than 100 million UCAS seats deployed out there in the marketplace today. And one of the key strategies for us is actually to activate our base. And VIA Cloud Office coupled with RingCentral allows us to do that. And in fact, it's exactly what our customers wanted. You know, we just launched it in the end of March. We're seeing great traction. In fact, we're only 40 days in, and we just closed last week our first seven-digit TCV deal. It was thousands of seats, and more importantly, we did it with RingCentral, Avaya, and one of Avaya's leading channel partners. We stood it up in less than 24 hours, and it really was driven in support of COVID-19 for one of the local governments. So we're really excited about the opportunity. We think it's going to unlock tremendous value. It's certainly a growth opportunity for the company. It's early on, but... Another exciting opportunity for us between now and the end of the year, we're going to deploy this in nine additional countries. So excited about the opportunities in front of us.
3: Okay, so let's put it in English for our viewers who are not familiar with the phone business. Uh, The state of Mississippi, massive spikes in call volume from people obviously asking about COVID-19 since nobody knows anything. What did your system do?
5: Well, with COVID-19, with the state of Mississippi, you know, obviously they were getting inundated with folks calling in trying to determine what their test results were. So over the weekend, we installed uh, our cloud platform with AI and really implemented a SMS uh, implementation Messages. such that the right. citizens of the state of Mississippi can get their results back real time. So a, a, huge, uh, a huge stress reliever.
3: Now, when you get something like that, don't states talk to each other? I mean, doesn't another state say, listen, I just did the Savia thing. You ought to try it. How does it work?
5: Yeah, in fact, it does, Jim, and state of Mississippi isn't the only state by which we deploy this and or in other governments. I'll give you an example. Even from a work-from-home solution, which this is, you know, back when we started to see the pandemic taking hold in early February, I contacted a number of my peers, and to each and every one of them said, if you could do three things for me, get my employees safe, productive, and work from home. Since February, Jim, we've deployed more than 2.5 million work-from-home remote licenses to do just that. So it's for governments like in Brazil and UK, and even closer to home, the State Department, SSA, Social Security Administration, uh, as well as that House of Representatives are using Avaya work from home technology. And for our large enterprises, companies like Humana, we immediately move 21,000 of their employees to work from home. Uh, Deutsche Telekom 7,000, Comcast over 20,000, and the industry leading global BPO teleperformance over 100,000 remote agents we deployed in days, not weeks or months. Said, well, Jim, Only Avaya has but where, where are
3: we? I mean, today, all anyone was talk about was Moderna. Ring Central was down. Why? Because people yeah. say, well, this move is over. Um, I look at it quite differently. I think that when you deploy these systems and if they work and if business doesn't go, if revenues don't go down, I know expenses are much lower if you do it at home, particularly because of rent. I mean, isn't it a here to stay option?
5: Yeah, you know, I think, uh, quote, the new normal is indeed here to stay. Um, there may be a bit of uh, folks working a little from home, a little for the office. But in this new digital and distributed world, um, we are seeing uh, great demand for our work from home, uh, work from home solutions. In fact, most of them are now are driven through our subscription offers, which couple cloud technology with our on-premise capabilities. And we're now becoming a leader in hybrid. So I believe it's here to stay. So
3: tell me a little more about how the RingCentral deal works with you. I mean, when someone, I mean, you have a lot of existing clients. uh, You're giving RingCentral more business than they're giving you.
5: Well, you know, Jim, we had an uncovered base out there of 100 million seats. And our customers really wanted an Avaya solution. And when they wanted to move to the cloud, we couldn't fulfill that demand. And they looked for alternative pure cloud plays. I can tell you, we've won well over 100 deals so far. And each and every one of those have been competitively bid. And Avaya is winning. Our customers want to stay with Avaya. We have a trusted brand. We have high quality. So it's a win-win situation, I think, for both companies.
3: So would they, would your customers, say, be gravitating toward keeping Avaya but gravitating towards Zoom? And instead, it's just really easy to flick a
5: switch and have them have RingCentral? Well, you know, Zoom's a little bit different. If you take a look at what we're doing from a video perspective. Yeah, you're doing B2B. Uh, we, we, yeah, we have we're, we're, our B2B solution is really for the enterprise, and it's more than video. It's video, voice, as well as collaboration. Um, we just uh, released it back in, in February, and we're seeing significant traction. And what's different from our application than your typical consumer is the fact that you know security, data, data privacy, redundancy—they're all table stakes. Right. A number of your consumer applications are a little bit more susceptible to having outages, uh, uh, pop-ups data, uh, private data being sold. Um, so, you know, ours is an enterprise solution. We're deploying it around the globe. Uh, we are at 500,000 licenses deployed since uh, the release of February and we continue to see demand increase week over week. Excellent. So we think it's uh, really, uh, really applicable for the large enterprise.
3: Okay, welcome. I'm glad you're on the show. It's a, uh, the show. The stock has been a rocket and deservedly so because where we are in America right now. That's Jim Cherico. He's the president, CEO of Avaya. Thank you so much, sir.
5: Yes, thank
3: you, Jim. Ned money's back after the break. <laughs> it is time for the lightning. round. one of the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy for the lightning round right start Andreas in Georgia. Andreas. Jim, a big booya from Augusta, Georgia. Perfect. I really appreciate your continued vigilance on the financial front line of this pandemic for all of us. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. I'm calling this evening about your recommendation on Seattle Genetics. Oh, I like Seattle Genetics very much. They've got some uh, new formulation anti-cancer drugs. They're not going to shine on a day like today because today's the day where your people won bioauto copies. But I think that they've got an amazing pipeline, one of the best I've ever seen. And I think you should own the stock. Let's go to Ray in Connecticut. Ray.
5: Hey, Jimmy, how are you? I am good, how about you? Hey, let me say hi to my mom and dad in Queens Astoria. Why not? And I'm calling about uh, Corvo.
3: Oh, I think Corvo's fantastic. They made a major Skyworks Corvo. These are all lever to 5G. I mean, I got a whole list of them I write about all the time. Marvell technology, lever to 5G. Corvo's not necessarily the best one. I do want them one. I want them one because I haven't had them one in ages. Let's go to Blake in Wyoming. Blake. Oh yeah, Jimmy. How we doing? Real good, how about you, Blake?
1: Oh, I can't complain. I got
3: Penske Automotive Group. We got the captain at the leadership helm. I think it's a buy. What are your thoughts? I actually think it's a very inexpensive stock. I don't understand. I mean, I know it had some. Well, that stock is way too cheap. I, that, that's a you know. I know the franchise dealers have had troubles, but that's ridiculous. I think that stock's too cheap. Let's go to uh, Brian in Hawaii. Brian. Hello, how Jim? How are you? You have zero COVID in Hawaii. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Virtu Financial. I, yeah, I think it's a very smart, good company with a lot of really smart people, and I'm surprised that it's it still only. It, it should be more of a a fintech company. It shouldn't It doesn't deserve a nine multiple. deserves about a twelve multiple. Let's go to Raymond in New York. Raymond. Hi, Jim. How's it going? Good. How are you? Great. I wanted to call you up at Exxon. I, I don't like stuff. Exxon as much as Chevron. I, you know, Chevron's a better, better-run company right now. It just is, and that's an. I uh, You know, Exxon was always king, and uh, Chevron's the king. It's good to be the king. Let's go to Ron in New Jersey. Ron, a big blue yard game from Blairstown. Oh, gym. I love Blairstown. What are your thoughts on the growth and earnings potential for ET energy transfer? I would dump that right into the Delaware water gap. Let it go up a couple of points and then just drown it. Let's go to Kate in California. Kate.
0: Hey, Kramer. I'm so happy that you're still on the air to keep my brain from exploding.
3: Love. Really? All right. well, You can put that back down there.
0: Hey, can you walk me through what's happening with Mastercard? Up four percent today, but still down eighteen percent. Well, the look, I mean,
3: up. it's levered to world travel and, and world commerce, and that's hurt the stock. But look, I, my travel czar says so, that I think it's a terrific situation. But remember, we have to be cognizant that again, it had a it came into this COVID with a thirty, with a forty multiple, and that's too rich given the fact that worldwide commerce is slowing. How about Mark in Florida, Mark?
5: Hi Jim, it's great to talk with you. Um, when I wish I had uh, acted when you uh, recommended Moderna when it was in the teens, oh, and I didn't. Thank you. But my question is about Ring Central.
3: I think Ring Central's terrific. I, you know, Ring Central uh, is one of those companies going to be down on a day like today. Why? Because it's very good. For the office at home, all right, that's what Ring Central Stock and Trade is. That's why I was down 22. There's nothing wrong with it. Vlad Shrunas is still doing a fantastic job. Give it a couple days, and it's going to start moving up again. But it is up 55% for the year. I'm going to throw in Okta. I feel the same way. Okta's a little bit stronger because there's people like... Man, uh, yeah, it went down a couple bucks. I like these t- but they're going down right now. And that, ladies and conclusion of the Lightning Round!
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: For the first time I can remember, we're having a healthcare recession. In order to deal with the pandemic, hospitals suspended all sorts of non-emergency procedures. That's a problem if you need knee replacement, and it's a potentially ex- existential problem for the hospitals, because these surgeries are how they really make their money. Hospitals have been working overtime to beat this virus, and the process, well, they're losing fortunes when they're doing it. But now that it's looking for, uh, like, our health care system won't be overwhelmed, what do they need to do to bring back these procedures? What's the safe way for hospitals to go back to something closer to normal? I want to hear from an expert, which is why I'm thrilled to have Scott Sperling. He's the co-president of Thomas H. Lee Partners and more key to us today in this crisis, the chairman of Massachusetts General Brigham, which happens to own one of the most important hospitals in the country. Mr. Sperling, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. I just got, fill me in. Uh, we bent the curve so we wouldn't be overwhelmed. It looks like that's been accomplished. We have a huge number of empty, I guess, ICUs all over the country. At the same time, that the hospitals are bleeding from the eyeballs for cash. What are we supposed to do? You're, you're, you're exactly right. So let me give you a couple
1: of um, small data points. Uh, at the peak, we had built capacity. We had more than doubled our ICU capacity to handle COVID-19 paci- patients that needed high-acuity care. Every one of them had uh, ventilators, so we had uh, almost 900 such (laughs) ICU beds. We utilized at the very peak about 70 to 75 percent. We never got close to 100 percent. So we had the capacity to handle what was the uh, largest uh, surge that we had imagined. We are currently only utilizing about 33 percent of that peak capacity. So we've been able to take some things down. But to your point, the net result of the success that we've had, uh, addressing the, uh, the, the truly great need of COVID-19 patients, uh, has been that we have lots and lots of other patients who have had delayed procedures that we may call elective, but to them it creates significant pain and potentially very expensive and longer lasting complications. So I will give you, you know, some sense of that. Uh, We have seen a 30% reduction in cancer diagnoses. It's not because there's less cancer. It's because people aren't coming in with the symptoms. We haven't had that. We have not been able to do the surgeries on things uh, such as um, significant orthopedic procedures or even brain surgeries that often uh, can be delayed but do cause significant uh, pain and suffering for patients. The result is not only the economic uh, crisis for the healthcare system that you mentioned, but it is a truly uh, worrisome uh, uh, national health care crisis for so many patients of so many different age categories. We've done a remarkable job, and when I say we, it's not me, but it's our caregivers. It's the individuals who are running our system. It's the Ann Kolbanskis, who's the CEO of Mass General Brigham, and the Peter Slavins, the president of Mass General and Betsy Nable, the president of the Brigham and Ron Walls and, and so many other people, Greg Myers uh, of the world, the Tim Ferrises, these are people in our system who have done a remarkable job at trying to make sure that we uh, can make can improve the outcomes for the COVID patients. And that's something that we've done quite well. Well, Scott, so, why don't you talk about that
3: percent? Because I think that your outcomes, it varies so much from state to state other states, people listening to you will know that you guys figured out a lot of stuff that they should figure out.
1: So, you know, for, it, it, uh, for the most vulnerable group over age 80, uh, in March, uh, half of those people were not able to survive. Today, 75 percent of them are able to survive wow. based on what we know to do with these patients. We know much better when to use respirators, how to use them. We know uh, how to treat the kidney disease that has come around with this. Uh, things like remdesivir, which, you know, the, the, uh, the early indications are very strong. We've seen all of that. Uh, we do know that given the nature of how it works, which is to stop replication of the virus, the earlier you use it, the more powerful the impact could potentially be. And so we're going to see that. We've taken the med surge uh patients uh who have COVID nineteen uh down from uh six days of staying in the hospital to four. We've taken the ICU patients from fourteen days to ten, and again we're seeing much better outcomes. Well, so what do you, what we're do you think much about- better prepared to deal with whatever comes next, whether it's another surge or more likely a uh, chronic level of patients at a much lower level, but that will last until we have a
3: vaccine. Well, that's what I want to ask you about, because, you see, I see all these pictures this weekend about the bars with big lines and the packed beaches. I mean, to me, look, you're chairman of a great hospital system. Is that a nightmare waiting to happen or are we just in the northeast just too cloistered? Look, you've, you've seen
1: wide variation. So, for example, New York had over fourteen hundred deaths per per million. Right. and Florida had 82. Whoa. I know people were uh, critical of, of Governor DeSantis in Florida, but one of the things that he did that was so smart that I think you know, he may have done better than, for example, New York, is he targeted a population where you can isolate and protect them. So much more aggressive at making sure nursing homes, no visitors, everybody gets tested who's a it. caregiver. So we really need to to learn lessons from this, that we can look at the most vulnerable populations where the death rates are dramatically higher and deal with those. In the middle, we should use common sense. Right. It, you know, It's low cost to wear a mask. It's low cost to keep six to seven feet away from somebody else. Uh, you can go to an outdoor stadium and hopefully you know, not be too close to people, probably not crowd back into an indoor uh, venue uh, right. at any point in the near future. So there's a number of things that we can do that are common sense, that are low cost, that will help us as we manage through this. And again, keep in mind that, as you know, flattening the curve is about spreading this out. It's not about eliminating the eventual number. It's about spreading it out so the healthcare system can deal with it. But as I mentioned, the thing that people have to understand is the healthcare system has so much more capacity and capability to deal with this. Now what we have to make sure is the healthcare system itself doesn't die. And to right. your point, if you look at the financial situation, community hospitals all through Massachusetts are on the verge of, uh, of not being able to make payroll. Our own system is losing billions of dollars. So, you know, we need to make sure that we have the ability to take care of the people who need our help and who depend upon us. So there's a financial element. But as I said before, right. you know, more importantly to our people, it's taking care of of the 30 year old who doesn't have COVID-19, but who has a serious ailment, who has a serious uh, neurological issue, who has diabetes. We have a a huge spike in the number of amputations. And the reason for that is people with diabetic infections of some sort are not coming into the system. Those are not things that we've been able to deal with. And we need to get back to dealing with that. And it's so important that we recognize we have the capabilities. It's time for us to get back to helping all of the people I agree. of this country.
3: All right, Scott. It's always great to have you. you have more Jim, insight than you. anyone else we have on this situation. Scott Sperling is the chairman of MassGen, Brigham, uh, and boy, I'll tell you, he really understands what the hell's going on. Also, of course, co president of Thomas H.D. partners. Still with Kramer. next on cbc moderna reporting early positive results from trials of its vaccine hear from one person who actually got the shot wow that'd be great plus Abbott labs top infectious disease doctor on the accuracy of this company's virus test you know they've been under a lot of fire there and the future of fitness one gym owner's plan for when he's allowed to reopen all new with scott wapner Look, the Moderna news is blockbuster because no one expected anything yet. We don't know how well it would be, but we sure know that this was about as it's about as good as it gets considering, and that's the way you have to look at it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere and I'm trying to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you
2: tomorrow.